Edwin's commitment to this podcast continues to seriously disappoint me. I don't even, he's going to bill me for this too, you know. Look at this. He's talking to someone right now, which he'll do in the middle, and then he'll send me a bill. Uh, sorry, I was uh, I was telling Angel to, uh, to give me some, give me some zap. Uh-huh. You're going to bill me for this, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers. If that's a sigh, you know Edwin's on the show. This is Secret Movie Club Podcast 111. Today, we are talking about what was kind of a cathartic experience for me. The Canadian film Ryan's Babe, which our very own Connor Lloyd Cruz suggested for his birthday. So we have Connor to thank for this. Connor had already pre-screened it for awesomeness, which was actually the first rule of Secret Movie Club back in the day. And Connor passed it with flying colors because the movie was awesome. Ryan's Babe was a movie that was going to fall into obscurity, directed by a doctor. Yeah, Ray Ramaya. The movie, uh, it's really hard to talk about, but basically a very (laughs) non-linear story about a guy named Ryan who essentially is on the run from his stalker's drunk father and goes on an Odyssey-like quest. We're told it's Odyssey-like because he reads the Odyssey throughout it in both Canada and America, and it takes many twists and turns. We're going to get into it, and we're also going to be talking about good, bad movies and the idea and concepts of good, bad movies. Who is with us today? Oh, hey, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion. Oh, America, greetings from the Academy Awards. Yeah, I'm at the Oscars. Going to watch Star Wars on 70 millimeter. The way at God is supposed to be. L- l- I, don't, I don't care. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with even... it. I'm rolling with it. Edwin committing yet again to absolute professionalism is phoning it in literally in line <laughs> as he waits <laughs> to watch a 70 millimeter print of Star Wars Episode Four. Which is, I get it. 70 millimeter Episode Four. I really do get it. All right. Anyway, this week is July 1st. And when you hear this, this Saturday, check out up at the club, we're doing our rescheduled screening of the entire series of Paranoia Agent. Please just go to secretmovieclub.com or eventbrite at secretmovieclub.com. You can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. We always want to hear your suggestions. So if you're like, hey, you fools need to play this, write us as well. Moving on. Dr. Ramaya, PhD, we don't know in what, wrote and directed the 2000 Canadian, uh, and you know what? I need to shut up here, Connor. You picked it. You're the programmer here. You tee us up. Ryan's Babe. So um, I think my 20s were a time of discovery, I think, as they are for most people. And one of those things that bore out over that decade was my love for like bad movies that are interesting. Because there's lots of movies that are bad that are just boring, which is probably the worst thing a movie can be. Part of this love was stemmed on by getting introduced to The Room when I was like 20. I remember there's this movie called Dance Foo. Me and my buddy Robert were really obsessed with that starred Kel Mitchell of Keenan and Kel in multiple roles and Cedric the Entertainer. Red Letter Media, which is a YouTube channel that I've mentioned before, they have a show that's really like expanded some of the stuff I've seen. And for the last couple of years, uh, me and my buddies, Brian, who's been on the show, Scott and Anne, who've also been on the show, Celeste, who's been on the show. But um, we've been watching sort of more dubious off the beaten path movies. And I was entered to Ryan's Babe through Red Letter Media. We watched it as a group sort of a road trip comedy i guess it's kind of a thriller sort of 
I think one of the hardest things to comprehend about the movie is exactly what they were going for. Especially when you get to the final shot. It seems to be trying to play it both ways at times, where things that should be silly are played very serious, and then things that should be serious are played very lightly. I'd love to see a counter on the screen of the amount of times we see Ryan P, amount of times we see Ryan get drugged, and then amount of characters named in the movie. Because probably the most baffling thing about the film is that there's just an excessive amount of plot, of incidents and things happening, and like a character will walk into a scene and be like, my my mother, Deborah, uh, and her assistant, Stephen, they went over to Claire's house and had a lunch with Tammy, and then they all talked about how Billy was seeing uh, Deborah, too, and you're constantly just like, who? What are they talking about? <laughs> Why are they talking about this? It's definitely not as sort of immediately funny in the way like uh, The Room is, because The Room is so much like bad on its technical merits and Ryan's babes. I thought it was pretty immediately funny. I think so too, but I can see how some people might not. It's not quite as obvious. It's a little more like if you know more about like the way film is made, especially with the dubbing. Probably the the funniest moment in like a traditional good bad movie sense is the part where uh, one person is dubbed with two people's dialogue, where it's like somebody's speaking from another person's body. We should say this this hilarious comedy opens up with an attempted rape and killing in a forest. There's a lot of weird sexual uh, stuff. It's pretty chaste. Probably the weirdest is the older woman who... Uh, oh yeah, roofies Ryan. Well, somebody else roofies him, and then she seemingly has sex with him while, or I guess to phrase it, as it should be, it rapes him. And then they have like a kind of semi-romantic moment afterwards, which that's like that weird thing where like men can't get raped. That's like, a, like obviously they can, but like that's like a trope of like narratives and stuff where when, when a man is in that situation, it's not treated the same way. It's baffling. It's a weird movie. Connor, I don't want to use these words, but I'm going to have to, but it's probably one of the worst you do want to use in my life. I'm gonna. I'm using it anyway. It is probably one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. I sat through 40 minutes of it. I couldn't take any more can't of it. Can't even watch a movie. How do you don't understand? And then what did you go out to the lobby and watch on VHS? I did it. I, I was just laying on the couch because I was so I was high and tired. But even when I was under the influence, I couldn't laugh. I I couldn't like like what is this? What am I watching? Like it's weird because with bad movies, you know they're purposely meant to be more serious serious like in a laughing way but this one i i couldn't because i couldn't understand what the hell was happening like for instance mackie that's a bad movie it is meant to be funny because it's stupid the room a, a good example of that it, it's played to be serious but it's also extremely funny but with this movie it's so different because I couldn't take it seriously and i couldn't take it like like a comedy because i just hated every minute of it and I just left. I just got out and left because I couldn't take any more of this. You know, I think people have a pretty good idea of your film sense. And I actually was not surprised <laughs> that you couldn't hang with Ryan's babe. One of the things that we discovered in Secret Movie Club, and I, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before or not, is I love good bad movies 
or I love movies where you're like, well, how did this get made? This movie is crazy. But weirdly, those are the movies that have some of our smallest attendances. Early, early on in Secret Movie Club, I ran what I thought was going to be a sure hit, Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse, which I love. Good movie. Oh, yeah. We had the supporting actor who gets killed by a bear. We showed it on film. I had it on a film print. And it was one of our smaller crowds. And... I've done that from time to time where I'm like, I just want to show this. It's just crazy. It's so good. It's, and weirdly, there are certain movies that you like because they have a reputation in film culture, whether it's Jaws the Revenge or Death Wish 4. Ishtar. You will just go to the mat for them. But one thing that I've noticed, and, and this is not surprising, is I think movies that are on that really rare frequency of totally absurd and nonsensical, I don't think you dig. When they're so absurdist that you can't find any narrative thread to hang on, I think you switch out right away. I wouldn't call Roadhouse like a bad, bad movie. It's just like pure fun and just like a generally good movie. You know, like you were saying, like you're right. For movies like me, like Jaws, Death Wish, Ishtar, those movies I really dig and I can understand what's happening. But for Ryan's bit, I, I just couldn't find it. I just couldn't see the, like, how is this like funny? It's meant to be super serious, and I couldn't find any is any it? laughter in it. Is it though? I don't know. I, I don't know what it's trying to be. That's what threw me off because it's not being serious. It's not being a comedy. It's just something. I don't think I'm gonna ever see it again. I, I don't want to. I, I refuse. <sighs> Great. I'm glad we went to you second. Um, I was gonna say that everyone. It was a smaller screening audience. Uh, we had like a maybe what like two dozen people there. No, it, it was bigger than some of our others. Actually, the Ryan's Babe was a surprisingly big audience for an esoteric movie, for sure. And um, I would say Edwin was the odd man out. I think everybody else. Oh, everybody came to play. Was on board for the ride, and we had some pretty big uh, reactions. I don't know who those two ladies were in the middle row, but they were like levitating out of their seat with <laughs> yeah. delight at everything. Connor's curated so many of them. There's a specific type of movie that demands an audience to watch with. I was not able to attend Connor's screening. So I watched this on my own and I really loved it. But now I can only think about how much more I would have loved it in the space of 10 to 20 people to share in the absurdity with. My hope is that this was not made to be funny. Like Tommy Wiseau has, wants to rebrand the room as if it was always meant to be a dark comedy. He can do that. That's fine. But I, the way you get this type of movie is that the method that you tried to make it was completely sincere. Because there's like this subsection of things that gets created with like the sci-fi channel and stuff that are these intentionally goofy movies like Birdemic or Sharknado. Sharknado. Birdemic, I think, was made more sincerely. Oh, really? Okay. Memory. Birdemic's a classic. Birdemic was not a sci-fi movie. It was probably picked up. Birdemic played cinephile or cinefamily and... Birdemic was like a Ryan's babe. It took the world by storm. There's something magical about that because I think everyone that gets behind these things, there's such a passion to it. And I think it's got to be really lovely to the people who created it, who maybe, especially when stuff gets kind of reappraised down the line and it finds this new audience. But I dig it. I was trying to figure out how you would explain this movie. <laughs> and the stuff I wrote down was really that the plotting is... Craig already said it the best way, but it's kind of just a series of coincidences that keep putting this man, Ryan, in seemingly bad situations. He gets, like, carjacked and... He's like a human tumbleweed. Someone thinks he's, a like, a crime boss's son. The cheerleaders who want to... They think he's a guy who assaulted somebody. Yeah. Another guy thinks he's his brother who he lost while he's also yeah. 
<laughs> doing something. There's a dance sequence that's way too long and magical. Where he's in Canadian boxers. And at a weird point structurally in the movie. Yeah, I don't think you could write this out and make this movie the same way. This was all a complete accident and it's coming together. It's perfection exists because it was made to be, you know, whatever the director intended. And I think that's pretty dope. And I noticed, I haven't watched it yet, but I know that on the, if you can get a copy of the physical media version, there's like interviews with the director and stuff. So he's still behind and supporting this project for what it's become. Yeah. Well, I think he passed away a few years ago. Oh, really? Ago. Okay. He did. Rest in power. But we have the DVD, so we can actually watch that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to watch that ever again. You can count me out of that. I don't know. I think that's going to be a company building, like, you know, a team building exercise. Yeah, that's not... You can't be out. What is that? I'm just playing a foghorn whenever Edwin talks. What did you do? You didn't even watch Connor's movie he programmed. I watched all of Invasion USA. You know, people support you, Edwin, constantly. When are you going to see the love <laughs> that people give? When are you going to give it back? See, he's not even paying attention. All right. In the same way, Daniel, you were saying that you can't intentionally make a good, bad movie. You have to just be 100% sincere. You can't be self-knowing about it. I actually don't think you can adequately describe a good bad movie. I, weirdly, I think it's like a song. You just have to watch it to experience it, to understand why we're all going over the moon about it. Secret Movie Club, before it became what it is now, was actually devoted to good bad movies. And we would all try to pick these good bad movies, or just crazy movies, because that's a distinction, and we've already done a podcast on that. But we would try to pick these movies other people hadn't seen that would blow their minds. We did Birdemic. We did The Room. Weirdly, my friend Kyle I went to college with, I never knew he was in The Room. He's the guy that disappears halfway through, the guy with glasses. Oh. <laughs> and then I only knew it when we did it at Secret Movie Club. I was like, Kyle, you're in The Room? And then Kyle told me his like whole story with Tommy Wiseau. We did Black Shampoo. We did Sleepaway Camp. We did like so many movies. There's just too much to get into right now. And we would just love it. We would just watch and drink and shout at the screen. And the point was, I think... These movies, these discoveries are meant in weird way, just like great movies, to be experienced communally because you want to be in the room with someone who's never, I mean, no association with the room, the movie. You want to be in the room when your unsuspecting friends are like experiencing this movie for the first time. And if they're on the same wavelength, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like to me, watching Ryan's Babe. I don't know. I locked into that movie right away. And there are scenes you just have to experience. Like it starts kind of in a way that makes sense with an action sequence. A woman escapes a dude who's going to kill her. Then she hijacks Ryan. Then Ryan goes into a flashback about his college days where there's this woman, Connie, who's stalking him. Then that goes into a flashback where I guess they were childhood friends and Connie gets him a bike and he totally blows Connie off. Then it comes back to the storyline with the woman who escaped from the forest. Then she gets on a plane and she's gone from the movie. Yeah. And this is like a running <laughs> thing where Ryan, who's a handsome dude, actually, you think maybe he's going to consummate one of these relationships. He actually never does ever consummate a relationship except for the woman who takes advantage of the roofies, I guess, and sleeps with him in the bed. The older woman who he reminds her of her dead football playing husband yeah. which is an amazing sequence there were so many moments in this movie where i was slapping my head and maybe one of my favorites was ryan goes to the grand canyon and he looks out at the real grand canyon and then it cuts to connie his stalker saying ryan 
Why don't you come back to me? And she's in angelic light. You know I will give you everything that you want and I will be devoted to you in a crazy way. And Ryan like nods his head as he looks out at the Grand Canyon and he's like, Yes, the lesson I've learned is I will return to this stalker who has stalked me since my childhood. And we will. Ha and I was like, this is incredible. I can't even synthesize all the feelings I'm having right now, except that somehow this magically works. You can almost make this movie as an anthology if you could, because half the stuff are like different like sections of the movie. It's like 20 short movies. It's also wild just how passive Ryan is as a protagonist. And not bright. Does he ever really take any sort of meaningful action in the film? Well, he does hitchhike proactively. But he seems to be like within that, he's just sort of on the whims of whatever fortune befalls him. Oh no, he totally is. Although he is also strangely proactively a surrogate father to that little girl in Phoenix, Arizona. It's like Ray Ramaya had like 20 different movie ideas. I was like, why don't we just do it all at once? Let's see what sticks. He had like 50 strips of paper. It's like Dadaist. It was. You know, a way to maybe understand this too, I'm just throwing this out, I'm just spitballing. If Dr. Ramaya is indeed Indian and comes from the Indian traditions, one, Hindi cinema, we all saw Anthony Akbar. It plays like that. Also, if you've ever read the Ramayana or the Mahabharata, which I love, and are very much like the epic ballads of India, in the same way that the Odyssey is the epic ballad of Europe. And in a weird way, he was kind of writing a modern day like Ramayana or Mahabharata. Or... I think people have described it before, but it, it does feels like an alien from another planet who only understands Earth culture through Hollywood film. Then they, they moved to <laughs> North America to follow their dreams. Everybody who made Ryan's Babe? was down with Dr. Ramaya's vision. And Dr. Ramaya, you know, he was trying to do something. We should all talk about the befuddling ending, which if you didn't think that Ryan's babe could go to 12 when it had been at 11, he eventually decides to go back to Connie and he's going to go back to Canada. And it kind of makes a, a sense. You're like, oh, he's been on a journey. He's had a realization. At least we're going to get an ending where he returns to Connie and they're together, even though I think that's a horrible idea and makes no sense to me. And then he picks up another hitchhiker. She turns out to be wanted. He gets arrested by the police when he's seemingly evaded that the whole time. And he looks at this female hitchhiker who's dressed like an underage schoolgirl and she's smoking a cigarette. And then he nods and laughs like he's like, ha ha, here it is. Wistful. Wistfully. And you're like, that's the end of the movie. And you're like, what? It keeps happening. It's an endless cycle. Uh, because Ryan's babe is technically Connie, but really Ryan's babe is all the different babes. Oh. There are many babes. And it's more of the conceptual idea of the babe who pulls him along, except for obviously all the scenes in which a babe isn't involved. But for most of the movie, there are babes motivating Ryan's choice of actions to the degree that he does choose any sort of action. You might almost argue that the movie would be about somebody who has no agency themselves whatsoever in their own life and thus is condemned to a purgatorial loop of irresolution. I was I was thinking of that too. Like, what if this guy is like his own little hell and this is his purgatory? <laughs> and he goes and he goes loop and loop and loop. But he seems content in it. Yeah, but still, you know. That's why it always cycles, because they're like, why does he keep enjoying this? He's very zen. <laughs> it's like Dr. Ramaya's the Dark Tower. 
Maybe we should all be a little bit more like Ryan. That's more like a Craig thing. I I, I volunteer Craig as be the Ryan's babe. Oh, thanks. I don't know. I, I, I see I see you going through that hell. So Edwin would be Virgil in your version. I've never had such a vivid picture of hell described to me. <laughs> um, Final thoughts on Ryan's babe. Bad movie. Bad picture. Great movie. Hey, great. I, Five stars. Had a great time. I loved it. I think if you like movies that will blow your mind, whether they be 2001 or Bellatar's Turin Horse or Satan Tango or Tarkovsky's Solaris or Dr. Ramaya's Ryan's Babe. I think if you want your mind blown, get your friends together, do what you got to do. I watched this movie Stone Cold Sober. I'll let everybody know. And my mind was still blown. You should have. Well, you watched it high as a kite and you left. Yeah, because <laughs> it kind of killed my buzz. It was like, too powerful. Man. It was. <laughs> what would you present, Edwin? What's your favorite good bad? Uh, it's between Ishtar and Mac and me. If I had to go like full on, I would go Mac and me. That's respectable. Mac and me is a famous good bad movie. A classic. And it never plays in LA. Never plays it plays every time Paul Rudd's on Conan yeah but you're not playing a 35 millimeter film yeah that's how I watch it I get my Conan's Daniel goes to Conan's house have you never got that invite when Conan invites us over to watch Mac and Me with Paul Rudd I guess we weren't seeing Edwin on that sorry man those are really fun times. Andy Richter comes over sometimes. You suck. All you suck. I would have used the F-bomb, but there's like children present, so I can't. I... Oh, wow. A moment of self-reflection on Edwin's part and self-restraint. <laughs> I want to bring forward a new contribution to the world of good-bad that deserves your attention. It's from 2017. It's directed by Tomas Alfredson, who directed one of my favorite films of all time, TKT The Soldier Spy. And Let the Right One In. I know what you're talking about. It's a little movie called The Snowman, starring Michael Fassbender, Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, it's got J.K. Simmons, Val Kilmer, Toby Jones. It's a stacked cast. I've heard a lot of things about the making of this movie that I assume are under NDAs and stuff, but it was apparently a very bad time. It's supposed to be about a detective whose name is Harry Hole, and he's investigating the disappearance <laughs> of uh, a woman left behind by a serial killer who, who uses snowman. And it became, you can stop it, right now. <laughs> It became a meme really fast because its central advertising was the notes that he leaves, which is a really crude drawing of a snowman. And it says, like, Mr. Policeman, I left you all the clues. Something in that realm. Um, my initial review just says Michael Fassbender plays a character named Harry Hole. There's a clip that I, I was sending people after I watched it in theaters because I was excited because I, I love Alfredson. It's a small child dressed as a donkey. He has like a donkey mask on. And Michael Fassbender enters the room and he makes weird donkey sounds and he goes, hello, donkey. And it, there's no context for the clip. That's just the kids doing the thing. <laughs> and it's really, it's a really magical experience. Is it or is it tragic? It's tra it's a tragedy, ultimately. Because, I mean, if you told me, hey, Thomas Alfredson's next movie stars Michael Fassbender and Rebecca Ferguson and J.K. Yeah. Simmons, I'd be like. And Charlotte Gainsbourg. I'd here. Be like. Boom. Can you make me host? And for I'm gonna a 20 second clip. I'm gonna share my screen. Yep, oh, I see God. it. What's happening here? What's here we go. going on here? Got to quiet for one second. Edwin, can it? This is What the hell? This is not real. Hello, Mr. Donkey. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and that's it. That's all you need to see. Wow, powerful stuff. What's happened to America? This is this is actually a British production. Yeah, it has nothing to do with America. I yeah, we were talking about earlier. You can't intentionally make this stuff. There's something about you can tell when something is made cynically, and 
sometimes when something is so cynical and it turns out so bad, it becomes funny in a laughable sense. But usually the best of this stuff is things that aren't, that are made more sincerely, whether the person involved is a terrible person or not. A lot of times the people making these movies are huge egoists in the case of like a Tommy Wiseau, because he just made that whole movie because he everyone betray him he had he had to make a movie about how he was the most victimized person on earth well, and have like countless butt shots the first time i saw that like those love making butt shots with rose petals i was like whoa there's so many bad movies where the writer director is the star and they're either like showing off their own physique or even worse using it as an excuse to uh caress naked women but i wanted to shout out well one for my movie night Recently, uh, we watched Food Fight, which that's a very cynically made movie. And that's like an expert level. I think I wrote on Letterboxd, Abandon All Hope, ye who enter here. Uh, um, do you know the history behind that movie? No, no, not at all. Yes, of course I do, Edwin. Of course I do. What do you think? Who's the expert here? Who, <laughs> who's seen all of Ryan's Bay multiple times? God, this guy. God, it's not my fault. I didn't, I didn't know, Connor. Food Fight was a movie made. It was like in production hell for like 15 years. Apparently footage was stolen. It's got Charlie Sheen, uh, Eva Longoria, Wayne Brady, Hilary Duff, who must have been signed on later in the process of making it because if she was signed on to play Charlie Sheen's love interest in 2003, she was like 15. So there's no way... But it's also baffling that Charlie Sheen in the middle of Two and a Half Men would have signed on to something so terrible. It maybe makes sense that he would have signed on at the beginning and there's a contractual obligation because it also it sounds like he's recording all of his dialogue like over phone while he's browsing craft services in between takes on Two and a Half Men. I wanted to really shout out. I love Spookies is a great old good bad movie that I've talked about before. A new favorite that my buddy Paul showed me called The Astrologer, which is a movie made by a guy who uh, every day he would do like tarot readings or something, and that would dictate like what they would shoot. That's a really like wild movie that like at times feels like an adventure movie, then at times is trying to be like Citizen Kane. But my, my favorite good bad movie that we haven't talked about after last season, which technically a film print exists of. Maybe, though Wikipedia says they were burned because it was cheaper than sending <laughs> sending them back. After last season, it feels like a cursed movie. We were joking, me and Anne, right before Ryan's Babe started at this at our screening, that if we like put on after last season, if the film would burn up or the movie would start and it would just be like a shot of the audience, like we would just it would be like looking back at it. I don't know where you can find after last season. It's probably just on YouTube. It was shot on film. And at times they use computer paper to make a white wall. So that just gives you the kind of scope of the budget <laughs> that they had enough money for film, but not enough for walls. It's a trip. You'll see it. And then much like The Ring, you watch it and then you die. <laughs> so. <laughs> so how are you talking to us? Oh, no. <laughs> there we go. Anybody else want to shout out some good, bad movies? The Happening? No. The Happening. Oh, man. I've never seen that one. That's M9, don't, right? Don't, don't, don't watch it. Don't ever watch it. This is one of the worst things he's ever done in his career. Well, that's like, that's a whole thing. The sort of M. Night twist endings when they started to jump the shark. But I, I didn't actually see any of those movies. The one I saw, the last one was The Village, which I actually thought had this dynamite setup. I was like, who are these creatures? What are the adults hiding? And then when it suddenly was a park preserve and they were getting Advil at, 
at a pharmacy. I was like, what? But there's so many movies I want to shout out, and I don't want to shout out the obvious ones. I'll just say it three that I highly recommend. The Lindsay Lohan starring I Know Who Killed Me. <laughs> I don't know if anyone has seen this. I don't want to reveal the twist. But you're watching Lindsay Lohan playing, you can't figure it out, a girl who disappears and then reappears and then maybe a stripper and then there's amputations and then there's really weird motivations and then a twist that no one sees coming. I Know Who Killed Me is a ride. I also want to shout out Ray Dennis Steckler's The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Died and Became Mixed Up Zombies, shot by Vilmos Zygmunt and Laszlo Kovacs, right fresh off the boat from Hungary. This was one of those movies I think he shot in 10 days that seemingly has to do with a carnival and zombies, but it has a technicolor dream sequence that is mind-blowing. And then I do also have to shout out Ted V. Mickles' The Corpse Grinders. That's where something gets put into cat food that makes the cats attack their owners. Guess what that secret ingredient is, y'all? Is humans. You see the humans going in the corpse machine and then little kitty, you know, eating her like fancy feast and then she's like, and then she attacks people. That one was nuts too, made in the 1950s. So, And then a movie they showed on Mystery Science Theater 3000 that I'm sure was a Roger Corman movie. All I know was I was with Sarah Gerfield. I hope Sarah doesn't mind that I'm shouting her out. A wonderful woman I dated in my early 30s. Sarah and I are watching some Mystery Science Theater 3000. And there's a scene where this one-eyed monster who's clearly just like fabric and an eye and like some metal framing comes out of the forest and this dude is in a river and he just falls back but clearly the river's only four inches like deep and then one of the guys in Mystery Science Theater 3000 is like let the current take you and when that happened <laughs> I had one of those fits where I fell over and I couldn't stop laughing for 10 minutes and Sarah was like are you okay are you and I was like I, I can't I got <laughs> And let the current take you. I was like transported to a shamanic level of like comedic transcendence. So whatever that movie is, watch that one too. Pop culture final thoughts. Edwin, you've earned it. You did the most research. You put in yeah, the I most did. effort. So uh... I did. I did. I'm, I'm recording live on the scene at the academy. But uh, that's not here I'm talking about. Let's just say um, a couple days ago. I was by MacArthur Park, you know. Ordinary day, ordinary Sunday, Saturday. I mean, Saturday. So the story is already start, starting off amazing. Saw so, 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 so a couple pictures on 16 millimeter prints. When nature strikes back, I saw man's best friend, aka Jaws with paws, as someone uh, called it to sell it. It was awesome. He uh, kills a mailman and uh, what else? Oh, there you go. In the middle of it, he doesn't get the end of his pop culture final thought. Last one was Jaws Revenge. It was out of this world. And they played the original ending where the shark gets ran by a boat and then uh, Murray Van Peebles is dead, dead. So that's pretty cool. My pick is, I've already seen it twice, I'll be honest, Top Gun Maverick. See it if you can get away. Craig, I know you're a busy man yeah, with a busier family that demands your love and attention. Could you just come over with Rachel and just reenact the whole thing? Yeah, you can sit through a lot of it. You just have to go like, <clears throat> like G-Force. 
it's genuinely magical and if you're comfortable with the theater go see it on the biggest one you could find it shot scales for imax to an imax ratio during some of the bigger scenes and it is one of the most thrilling third acts of an action blockbuster i think it's up there in the ranks of in the last 10 years we've gotten what mad max we've gotten uh drive i was surprised by it i was surprised by the audience and the same way people lost their minds at lord of the rings People were losing their mind at Maverick, and it was very cool. It had that same vibe that a great Marvel experience, a great Star Wars experience has. I think it rips. That's what I'm hearing. My mom is all about Top Gun Maverick. She yeah. wants, she <laughs> wants, my mom wants me to, me and her to go see it. I took all my in-laws. I was like, oh, maybe someone will go. And everyone went, including extended family, and everyone loved it. I guess this is going to be the movie that brings the people together. Tom Cruise is, is saving cinema. We're actually heading into the mid-year, mid-2022. By the time you hear this, it'll be officially mid-year, actually July 1st. So we have a lot of big projects on the docket for the second half of the year. And I think realistically, they'll probably carry over into 2023. Whenever I go to see my aunt, my wife's aunt, my Tia Elsie, there's this billboard, electric billboard that always plays the same quote, I think by Florence Nightingale. And the quote says, my secret in life was I neither accepted nor gave excuses, whatever that one is. And I mean, I'm not rigid about that. I understand. I actually give excuses all the time. But the reason I say that is because I give excuses all the time, I actually think I understand what she's saying, which is there has to just come a point where you don't give excuses and you just do it. If it sucks and it hurts and you don't sleep, you still get stuff done and you figure it out. And I think I have a feeling that's where we're at. If I want the things I want to happen for the back end of Secret Movie Club in 2022 to happen. I don't mean that negatively. I just mean that as a come to reality. This is what has to happen to, you know, get to the top of the hill on some things. So you're hearing me say it in July 1st. You'll know if we did it by December 31st so or January 2023. So I put this as a marker to myself to just get it done. No excuses. As people may know, Riverdale is coming to an end in about a year or so. So I'm going to have to find a replacement for my beloved segment where I talk about Riverdale and quiz people on it. So I'd like to introduce everybody to Movie Trivia Quiz, uh, where we do all the, the your craziest questions about Hollywood. Um, and so I'm going to give you guys a question, and I'm going to give you some multiple choice answers, A, B, C, and D, Please do not answer until you've heard all the, the options. And then uh, you guys will answer and we'll see who's right. So the question is, what is the name of the actor who played Alec Trevelyan, a.k.a. 006, in the James Bond movie Goldeneye? Is it A, Sean Bond, B, Scene Bean, C, Sean Bean, or D, Scene Bond. Yeah, this is performance art. I, I, I have the answer. I have the answer. I have the answer. It, 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 it's it, it's Sean Bean. So C. C. Yes. C. Craig. Yeah. C. Sean Bean. Daniel. Um, I'm gonna go A. I know it's wrong. It's Sean Bond. Sean Bond. Uh, you guys are actually all wrong. It is D. Scene Bond. Thank you guys so much. You can find me at <laughs> twitchtv Cruz and watch me play D and D Tuesday evenings at twitchtv uh, nerdhala. And speaking of Scene Bond, next week, Craig, you take it away. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I knew there was a <laughs> trick there somewhere. I knew you were going to pull the football. <laughs> next week, we are doing Secret Movie Club podcast uh, 112, where we are talking about 
Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. We are going to have special guest Eileen Shem on. Eileen is currently one of the producers on the Game of Thrones spinoff House of the Dragon. She's coming to us live from London, which is an honor. She also was a writer and producer on an upcoming Star Wars series she can't talk about yet. And a uh, spoiler, she does not talk about on the podcast. So It's the water show. Yeah, they're, so. they're digging deep now. <laughs> But Eileen has amazing thoughts and has an amazing story, actually, about how she came to Lord of the Rings. As always, I want to thank everybody on this show. It was edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. As always, you can find out what we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. You can buy tickets at Eventbrite, and you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. We always love reviews, likes, follows. Anything you can do on the interwebs, it actually all helps us with just getting our word out to other people. And if you don't like what we're doing, then, you know, write us an honest review. Tell us how we can do it better. One guy, it was funny, on our final post for Lord of the Rings, he wrote, I will not be attending. That was his comment. <laughs> so We get a lot of we get a lot of people that really want to let us know that they're not going to be there. I guess we've achieved the mediocre level of awareness on the web where we have trolls. Uh, which is interesting. I sometimes respond to them very genuinely nicely. Like one guy said, why would I watch this when I can watch the superior extended ones at home? And I said, there's no wrong way to watch Lord of the Rings. Have a great time with your marathon. And then he liked it. I think it took him by surprise because he liked it. Gave me a little heart emoji. That's why I don't control the public facing parts of this company. <laughs> it's what I want to say. Oh yeah, I had, I had one teed up. We're like, and we cried all 11 hours that you weren't there. And I literally wanted to type that. And I was like, no, we're going to stick with our good faith, goodwill. We hope we get you next time response. So I'm glad you took that one. So thank you, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. Uh, bye-bye. Love you, family. Writer, show damn good. Sorry, so what do, you, what, what, what do you say, Craig? We need to screen Jaws, the Revenge, 1970 Universal Pictures. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'll consider it when you watch all three Lord of the Rings movies and you write me a three-page essay on your honest feelings about it. When you drop the macho act because you get really defensive about movies that you, for whatever reason, haven't really enjoyed, watch all three with an open heart and an open mind and write me a thousand-word essay on your true reactions to it, and I will consider showing Jaws the Revenge. Uh, I'm not going to do that, Craig. I, uh, I refuse. Okay. Well, then I refuse to show Jaws the Revenge.